Section 32 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox. A Trip to the Mountains. I have been taking a flying trip over the Sierras, about which the poet so mellifluously sings. There were many beautiful scenes presented during that trip, but abler pens than mine have described them fully and have done them justice, so I will not attempt to set forth their various charms. It is not my forte anyway, and I am free to confess the fact. Enough for me to describe the excellent lunch which I had the good fortune to have along with me, and to speak plainly, I enjoyed it the most of anything I saw during my trip. It was no ordinary lunch, however. The backbone of it was a nicely roasted chicken, which reflected great credit upon both the poulterer and the kind-hearted young lady who volunteered to see it through the oven. Ah, that brisk little lady can prepare a dish fit to set before the gods. If that is not doing her justice, tell me, what more can be said, and I will pile it higher. She is worthy of it. The virtues of that fowl live in my memory yet. It was good. If you could meet an old lady that was a passenger in that car, not one with the bunion on her left foot and the crockery teeth, who mistook me for a minister, but the mild old lady with glasses that sat opposite me, she would tell you the same. She knows. Bless her gentle heart. If she doesn't, I would like to know who does. She partook of the fowl. I saw her looking wistfully upon it as I dismembered it. And though I say it myself, I am not greedy by any means, so I offered her the juicy neck. Did she take it? Ask, rather, if a cat that had fasted a week would take a mouse if she got between him and his hole. As old Shylock said, are you answered? She was no novice at picking the neck of the fowl either. She manipulated it in a manner that proved to me clearly she had perfect knowledge of its construction. It was not long, perhaps ten seconds, before she had picked it as bare as a corkscrew. She did it with such ease, too, and that's what got me. She kept it revolving as rapidly as a squirrel does the cylinder in its cage. She had but one front tooth left in her upper jaw. The intelligent mind will no doubt immediately picture forth a long tooth, and the intelligent mind, in so doing, portrays the incisor correctly. It was indeed a long tooth, but it was just the thing she needed for the business before her. It seemed to be specially made for it, as it fitted into every depression or notch in the neck as nicely as a key into a lock. It ran around between the vertebrae like a turner's chisel, throwing the small particles of nutrient far back against the roof of her mouth. It did me good to see her play around the fowl's neck. I grew young again while beholding the busy scene, and actually regretted that a chicken did not have two necks as well as two legs, that I might repeat the generous donation and see the pleasing scene enacted again. As it was, I won golden opinions from the old lady. A stout German woman who sat nearby also seemed to be looking upon the chicken as though she would like to help me make way with it. With that magnanimity, which was ever my peculiar characteristic, I severed the Pope's noose from the trunk and proffered her the delicious morsel, when, to my utter astonishment and confusion, she whipped out of her pocket a big bologna sausage the size of a stuffed club 
and shook it triumphantly in my face, so close that it might have greased the end of my nose. She actually scouted the idea, independent, proud, and self-sustaining, these Germans, and no mistake. She evidently felt insulted and delivered herself of a long essay in the German tongue. She was undoubtedly given me to understand that she was able to furnish grist from her own meal. Of course, that is what she meant. I could tell that by the way she flourished the bologna and pointed to her mouth and stomach. I expected she was about to whack me over the jaw with a singular-looking weapon and prepared to dodge on the shortest possible notice. But she didn't. As if to madden me, she commenced eating the sausage in a hasty, excited manner, taking about two inches at a bite. What could I do? What did I do? Why, let her eat it, of course. It was none of my business. I had no objections, so long as she didn't choke and render it necessary for me to pat her on the back, which I certainly thought I would have to do before she finished her meal. You may be sure I offered no more chicken to any person after that, but picked the bones as bears penholders. If she liked bologna better than a choice piece of fowl, it was her fault, not mine. I washed my hands of the whole affair. I stopped a few hours at a mill in the mountains and while there witnessed an amusing incident. There was a small pipe leading from the engine and projecting through the side of the building close to the ground. Through this pipe, the wastewater was conveyed from the engine and at the end of it quite a puddle or drain had been formed about a foot in width and eight or ten feet in length the constant dripping from the pipe kept the water warm and from it a steam was continually rising there were several indian camps in the vicinity of the mill and as wood was rather scarce the squaws belonging to the camps were in the habit of congregating around this warm drain when the cold weather numbed their poorly protected limbs. It was not an unusual thing to see half a dozen coming down the hill to squat beside the drain and there sit for hours discussing the current topics of the day, enjoying at the same time the luxury of a cheap steam bath. There were a couple sitting at the drain in this innocent manner while I was at the mill. I called the engineer's attention to the capital opportunity that lay before him to give them a surprise that would be fun to behold. This he could do by simply turning a gauge cock and allowing the steam to go out with a rush upon the squatting pair. The engineer was a sober sort of man, not at all given to humor and not inclined to take advantage of the opportunity. But when I informed him that I represented an illustrated paper and wanted to make a stirring sketch of the scene, he consented for my benefit. As he went to comply with my suggestion, I moved to the window to see how the squalls would enjoy it. I had hardly reached my position when the steam shot along the surface of the water like smoke from the muzzle of a rifle. At the same instant, the gentle savages shot at least four feet into the air in the most extravagant positions imaginable. Until that moment, I would not have believed the human form could assume such strange attitudes on such short notice. If I had not been intently gazing upon the pair as they sat chatting sociably over the drain and had my eyes riveted upon them, as they shot aloft, I could hardly have thought the two dark figures performing such grotesque evolutions in midair were indeed human beings. The steam was harmless, as it had to go quite a distance before escaping, but the squalls didn't understand anything about that, you know. No person had enlightened their untutored minds upon that point, and they didn't sit there very long in order to ascertain. For the sake of the squalls, however, let us hope that it was. 
one thing they evidently did feel certain about, and that was that something had broken loose and that, too, at a very inopportune moment. The thought that followed close upon the heels of the other was to change their position in the shortest possible time. If they both had been shot into the air out of one mortar, they could hardly have shown greater concert of action. If there was any difference in their sensitiveness or agility, the one farthest from the pipe seemed to claim the superiority, for as near as I could judge, she was first to spring aloft. The back of one was towards me and the face of the other. Though quite a distance from them, I could distinguish the white eyes of the latter standing out as prominently as a pair of silver-headed nails in the end of a mahogany coffin. It may be argued that this was a mean trick. It may even be said that it was a sinful act. I admit all this. Nay, more. It may be that I will have to answer for it hereafter when you and they and all of us have ceased to be interested in things pertaining to the flesh. But in the face of this supposition, I must still adhere to the original assertion that it was indeed an amusing incident, and will go further and say that as yet I have not been brought down to that perfect state of repentance where I could sincerely say that I regretted having been the instigator of the deed. I have never learned whether the squalls returned to the drain again, but judging from the way they hustled over the hill in the direction of their camp, I am inclined to think not. While coming down the river, there was quite an excitement on board on account of the steamer grounding suddenly upon the hog's back. She was running pretty fast at the time, and the sudden stop threw several passengers off their feet, and for a few moments all was confusion. I was partly disrobed at the time, and the first thought that entered my mind was that we had collided with some schooner on its way up the river. Before leaving, a gentleman placed a lady and two small children in my charge, and my first act was to run to the stateroom in which they were. I found the lady preparing for rest, and the children were already in bed. Without much ceremony, I seized a child in each hand, and bidding the lady to follow, started to deposit them near the Davids, that they might be handy to throw into the boats in case we were compelled to take them while hastening through the cabin i was confused by a terrified woman in her nightclothes who jumped out of her stateroom as i was passing the door in her hand she grasped the nozzle of a large life preserver which she had buckled around her and which only needed to be inflated with wind to make her comparatively safe no sooner did she see me than she commenced dancing frantically around me in the most insane manner at the same time shouting with all the strength of her voice blow me up blow me up for the love of heaven mister blow me up but i had had enough to do at that moment without stopping to blow her up besides i didn't know but i might have to swim to the shore and would consequently need what little wind i could muster to bear me through the task before proceeding far however i met the mate who told me to put the children back in bed and go soak my head or do anything that would keep me from making an unmitigated fool of myself with which kindly suggestion i meekly complied end of section thirty two read by julie taylor december eighth 2021